Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome to another edition of Corner Kick. Today we're going to be bringing you from England to Spain and just about nowhere in between. Just a two-man <laughs> booth tonight. Uh, Nathan Strauss, as always, joined by someone who did not make his triumphant return from injury and score a goal within minutes of seeing the pitch. It is Caleb Rhodes. That is correct. My you know series of injuries in high school did not usually result in me returning triumphantly. To the pitch. Uh, in fact, as far as I'm aware, you actually scored zero goals in your high school career. But that's neither here nor there. Feel free to correct me on that, by the way. That is that is that is correct. I did hit the post several times, though. I think yes. that was. But I think what we we have to qualify that is oftentimes you'd be in on goal totally alone, um, and you would hit the post. But it's okay no. because neither of us are known exactly for our prowess in the field, and that's why we're here and recording this pod it was a pretty busy weekend of soccer like for this was probably the fullest weekend of watching soccer that i've yeah. had in a really long time yeah um and it all got started uh you know early saturday morning with two bona fide title contenders in man city and chelsea and i don't think either of us would have predicted a one nil outcome for city the way it actually turned out to be no i mean this was this was this this game can only be described as just completely suffocating. I have never seen as effective a press as I saw City pull off against Chelsea ever in soccer. Like it was actually kind of crazy how Chelsea were literally penned into their half, penned into their own, you know, 18-yard box for most of the game. I was, you know, after that kind of drab rather uninspiring, you know, nil-nil draw against Southampton. I don't know what Guardiola put in the drinks, but like this team performed. Chelsea had no shots on target. Yeah, and it's so funny because I had been really singing the praises of Chelsea last week and I was like, oh, they're just far and away the best team, you know, in England. But it was truly shocking. Like, even looking at the shot map, it's not like City created all that much. Right. But Chelsea really, really struggled. And the touch map in this game is hilarious because it's literally, like, (laughs) eight Chelsea players who, like, can't get past, like, I would say the halfway line of their own half. Um, Yeah, I would say suffocating was exactly the word um, to use. And, you know, Chelsea had five total shots. One of them was off target and four of them were blocked. So none, it was, it was, it was truly, truly shocking. And I think it makes me reevaluate slightly my statement that Chelsea were just going to, to run away with the league. Yeah. I think it's interesting, right? Cause that's kind of the question we have to answer all season. I think that, you know, this is how city have to win these big games, right? Like you look at the formation, like I don't even know, who was really playing striker. It certainly wasn't Gabriel Jesus who ended up scoring the winning goal, which must be said was kind of lucky, right? Like there is a world in which City dominate the game like they did. And because they didn't really create that many high quality chances, leave with a nil-nil draw. But like, was Phil Foden playing the 10? Was Jack Grealish playing the 10? Was De Bruyne playing the 10? Was Bernardo Silva playing defensive midfield? I think, you know, (laughs) Things worked out for City this time, 
and you know it's good for them that it worked out against a team like Chelsea but they still aren't that prolific and Chelsea meanwhile are just going to batter most teams and I also don't think they are going to go with the three-man midfield like they did here which definitely you know took a bit of the attacking impetus out of the side yeah and I mean City have a pretty hellish week they had Chelsea on Saturday they've got PSG on Tuesday and then Liverpool on Sunday (laughs) so basically as hard a three-game stretch as you will ever come across but if they can I would say if they win one of these upcoming two games you know winning two of those three games I think is a success for both teams even though I'm sure Pep would want nine from nine. Um, But I think the game that immediately followed Chelsea City in Villa United was, (laughs) again, (laughs) just hilarious. Like, it's so funny to me that back-to-back weeks now, United have had a sort of late penalty that either went their way or didn't. Um, But whereas last week, it was Mark Noble who missed the pen that would have given... Mm. uh, West Ham, the equalizer. This time it was Bruno Fernandes who uh, had a somewhat hilarious miss kick in the 93rd minute um, and United fell to Villa. United now sit in fourth, although they're even on points with Brighton, Everton, Chelsea, and City. But I thought this was just, again, very funny um, from the perspective of a neutral. Yeah, and I mean, for me and you, this was pretty much the most profligate game you can have in soccer. I mean, they took 28 shots in this match. Only four of them were on target. Ronaldo had zero shots on target all game. Um, although in the future, he'll probably be taking the penalties. I think it's worth shouting out, though, the antics of Emmy Martinez before penalty shootouts again, where he went up to you know the crowd of Man U players next to Fernandes and started pointing at Ronaldo and saying, no, you should take it. No, you should take it. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. No, I did. And it's it's awesome. It's 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 uh so I mean this and this is the second time, you know, we've seen him in a penalty shootout doing it. I forget which team it was against um in oh no, it was against Colombia. Yeah, in Copa, the, America, the Copa America when Yeri Mina missed his penalty and he was like, Are you dancing now? Um which is <laughs> referenced to So Emmy Martinez, honestly, like in terms of like productivity on the field off the charts in the past two seasons and in terms of just like getting to know him as a personality like this man's only going up also shout out to our boy maddie cash who is now correct me if i'm wrong a polish international yeah so he's in the pro so according to his father he's in the process of getting a polish passport i'm not sure how he's eligible but like clearly he is kashiowski um, yeah, Maddie Kaj, um, Matush. I, uh, I think, yeah, I think we're gonna see Cash swinging in long balls for Adam Buxa and Robert Lewandowski come the next set of World Cup qualifiers. Yep. But I mean, to be fair to him, he's like the fifth best right back in England, despite being a very good player. So, like, I don't blame him for wanting to go and you know get experience on the national stage. Especially, it's not like Poland are like rife with quality right backs. So. Yeah, I thought he had a really good game. I thought Douglas Louise again, had a very solid game. Um, and the goal that Courtney House scored was really nice. Uh, you know, it was mm-hmm. not an easy header that he converted whatsoever. Um, I've also been sort of impressed with Jacob Ramsey, who was used mm-hmm. last year as, like, the Grealish replacement when Grealish got injured a lot of the time. But I thought he was pretty tidy. And Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings is just a kind of fun strike partnership. Like, 
Villa, they're not going to qualify for Europe, I don't think. But they mm. are a very fun team to watch. And they're certainly expansive under Dean Smith, which is nice. Um, and it's always fun when they can, you know, take a scalp of United like they yeah. did. Yeah. Um, Return, returning to United for a second, like, what do you make of the fact that, you know, they're looking for a goal? They are shooting a lot, but not really connecting. He leaves, you know, a hundred million man Sancho on the bench. He leaves Martial on the bench. He leaves Lingard, who's been in decent form on the bench. Good decisions. Is Ole losing his grip a little bit? I feel like every time we say this, though, they always have a really good result the next game. Um, But, you know, did Ole get the management wrong? Or is it just a case of sometimes you, you miss a bunch and then they'll regress to the mean sometime in the future? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they will regress to the mean, right? But, uh, you know, it's concerning that they lost Shaw and Maguire, uh, obviously. Like, they both, you know, went off with what looked Mm. to be, like, minor injuries. Like, I don't really think Mm. that either of them are super major. But, like, uh, maybe this game goes differently if instead of Diego Dallo playing on his offside as a left back, um, you know, they have Luke Shaw or Brandon Williams, who's obviously left the club on loan. Uh, and maybe we, we can just have a big, a quick talk about Norwich in a minute. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, bringing on Cavani with eight minutes left and Cavani, you know, was the one who ended up getting beaten um, on the Villa goal. Mm. Maybe that wasn't the right decision, but I, I do feel like th- we can't read too much into this just because, yeah. you know, two of the subs had to be made defensively because of injuries. Yeah. So, um, you know, Ronaldo can be very feast or famine, uh, if you will. And, this was obviously, um, you know, famine, famine. Yeah. Uh, uh, can we talk about Norwich really quickly? Because sure. that was defeat number 16 in a row in awesome. the Prem, awesome. losing two nil to Everton. And so far this year, they have scored two. They have conceded 16. They are 0-0 and six with a goal differential of negative 14. The only club not to pick up points so far. Is it? I mean, yes, they've already faced Arsenal, Leicester, City, and Liverpool. But is it too early to say that they're just going to go down and then get promoted back up in 2023? Like, why should we be expecting anything different? I don't know. But at the same time, I'm just so confused why this team is so exceptionally bad. Um, I mean... Their strike force isn't great. Like Timu Puki, you know, pretty much scored all of his goals in the Prem two seasons ago in like the first game. <laughs> Josh Sargent, as we discussed, like isn't really, we didn't expect him, you know, to suddenly score like 15 goals in the Prem. I think that would have been crazy. But their midfield is like sneaky solid. I mean, Nick Hyland, Lima Liu, um, who has been like a very quality player in Ligoon. Speaking of Brandon Williams at left back. And on the bench, you know, they have Milo Rashica. Um, they have Billy Gilmore. So I don't, I don't really quite know what's going wrong. Um, I don't know if it's because they play too expansively for their ability, uh, but certainly it is concerning, especially when you look at, you know, some of the other promoted sides. Uh, I mean, the other two promoted sides that are not struggling um, the same way. So not good look for Norwich right now. Yeah, and it's also just like, I mean, when you look at their personnel, it's like they have Ozan Kabak playing right center back. They have, you know, Max Ahrens. They have Brandon Williams. 
uh, you know, this right, team Max Aaron, yeah. who was who was linked with like a move to Barcelona, like two yeah, years like ago. this team. Like, there's no reason this team should be like this exceptionally bad. And even guys like Rashitza on the bench, like this team shouldn't be terrible. Billy Gilmore, who hasn't been able to get in, or uh, Adam Ida, the young Irish striker who yeah is pretty talented and promising as well. Like, I just don't see a way that they stay up, and I just, I sort of feel bad for their fans because you know, scoring twice and conceding 16 goals <laughs> despite the opposition is really, really poor. Um, yes. Why don't we talk about Brentford-Liverpool? Because this mm. game was absolutely bananas. Uh, I wasn't actually planning on spending too much time watching this game. I sort of thought, oh, I'm just going to have it on as background noise. And then all of a sudden, you know, Brentford scored early and they just kept scoring. Um, it was a very un-Liverpool-esque performance, and I'm sad that we don't have Nick here to not rub it in, but uh, talk to him about it, because I'm sure he would feel the same. But a fairly full-strength Liverpool team got, I would say, out-muscled and out-hustled by Brentford. Um, I think big credits are, are due to Brentford for playing the way that they have so far in, uh, in the Prem. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Brentford are what? They're in ninth place right now. They're above Arsenal. They're above Spurs. They're above Leicester. I don't think you would have predicted that. Um, they're, they're, they're just good. I mean, and they're good not in the way that like Sheffield were, where they kind of like eked out wins um, and points off of, you know, stalwart defensive performances. They actually score a decent amount. I mean, I think Tony who had an assist in this game has been, you know, much better than I probably gave him credit for in our season preview. Um, and I think, right. As you mentioned, it's not like Liverpool rotated that much for this game. Like looking at their 11, really the only person who you'd say probably isn't in the 11 in like, let's say a cup final context is Curtis Jones who happened to score today. And I think it's a little worrying that Liverpool's, you know, historically Champions League winning defense, Robertson, Van Dyke, Matip, Alexander Arnold, conceded three goals um, on like a random Premier League day. I don't know, but as you said, it was it was just so entertaining. Like this might have been one of the most entertaining games of the season, in part just because it was so unexpected and it was also so thoroughly deserved on the part of Brentford. Yeah, and like Brentford actually outcreated Liverpool in terms of XG with a third of the possession. So uh, a third of the possession of the match, so 33 to 67. Um, But it also makes me feel a little bit better about Arsenal's season opening defeat because it's Mm. like, yes, obviously we probably shouldn't be losing 2-0 on the opening day of the season. Um, But like Brentford are going to stay. I mean, they're going to stay up. I think Mm. I might've been the only person of the three of us to predict that they Mm. would stay up. But I'm a fan of how they play like, I think sometimes we see newly promoted teams overthink like the way mm-hmm. Sheffield did and they would just right. out-system you um, or they do the opposite like Norwich. But Brentford, you know, clearly don't deviate from their plan, but their plan isn't tactical. It's more mental, I think. Um, yeah. So I've, I, I'm a big fan of them. I've sort of, I'm glad that they have had some success so far. Yeah. And I think also like, you know, this isn't all doom and gloom for Liverpool who finished the weekend as the still the only undefeated team in the league. They are still the highest scoring team in the league. They are top of the table. 
um, by one point right now. So like this is not, you know, Liverpool are fine. Yeah. I think that's the important point here as well. Yeah. Um, I think that the next month is going to be pretty revealing for them because obviously um, in the month of October, they've got, you know, three Champions League dates with um, or two Champions League dates with Porto and Atleti. They also have, you know, a, a cup match against Preston. But in the league, they also face United and City. Um, you know, City's right. matchup on, on Sunday, I think, could be really, really crucial mm. just knowing how these two teams have competed uh, yeah. throughout the years. But yeah, Liverpool will be fine. Um, I was a little sad that Brighton couldn't go top just sort of for the banter. But uh, Dude, I wanted that so badly. So I, I actually, really wanted... Yeah. Oh, sorry, continue. No, no, no. One of the nice things... So I don't have class on Mondays, and so I'm able to watch these games. And Brighton just got absolutely shellacked in the first half by Crystal Palace. <laughs> like it was, it was again sort of it was like watching Chelsea City at the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they were able to come back in sort of scrappy fashion with a goal from Mope, who was just the mm-hmm. ultimate banter player. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Joel Veltman played the the ball that got him the assist. Danny Welbeck looked really good for whatever reason for for sure. Brighton. Sure. Mark Kukurea. Like, yeah, who somehow is only 23 years old, even though I feel like he was a wonder kid back in like 2012. Um, you know, he looked pretty good as a, as a wing back, but yeah, I mean, Brighton aren't doing anything serious, but it's nice to see that they are like halfway to their points total of like two years ago, six, six games into the season. Well, and also that's like the long-term regression to the mean also, right? Cause Brighton got so unlucky all of the time last year and they're kind of, you know, reaping the you know, they're getting the points they should have gotten last season now, which hey, is, is great for them. Um, although it probably also means that at some point in the not too distant future, they're going to go on a truly terrible run of form. Yeah, they'll um, lose like four or five games in a row and, yeah. they will, and they'll have a player sent off. And Yeah. Yeah, but you, you know I, how it goes. <laughs> yeah, every, every team has these moments. And speaking yeah. of teams having these moments, mm. I think we should talk about the biggest game of the weekend. Mm. Uh, and a game that brought me just immense joy, like maybe the happiest that I've been as a result of a soccer game in three or four years. I mean that completely from the bottom of my heart. North and of London course, Derby. we're talking about Watford <laughs> versus Newcastle. Indeed. 1-1 draw. I was very sad that, that Emmanuel Denise got subbed <laughs> off in that one because um, you know, Dude, Watford ended up scoring right afterwards. That's the running but, gag. Of the, of the season is just a manual yeah. Dennis tried to yeah, embarrass me. He, yeah, because, you know, Caleb was like, who is this man? And then he immediately <laughs> comes out and scores like three goals in the first two weeks. <laughs> uh, but we've all been there. Uh, we've yeah. all been there. But no, Arsenal three, Spurs one in a game that frankly could have been like four or five one as well. Um, I am just so happy with how this game went. But I'm curious if you think this result is a reflection of Arsenal's skill, um, you know, Spurs' lack of tenacity or tactics, or a little bit of both? Uh, pr- probably a little bit of both. I mean, like, credit to Arsenal, who have sort of definitely grown into the season. Um, and now, it should be pointed out, you know, find themselves above Spurs in the table um, on goal difference. Although, to be fair, actually, no, not even on goal difference, on results. Um, because you're still both minus five in goal difference. Um, I think this is the first time I think we've seen Arsenal's, this is probably Arsenal's best 11. I don't know what you think about that. Um, unless you sub like Pepe in for Emile Smith-Rowe, but 
I, I doubt you would do that. So I think that's good. I, I still think on paper, this Spurs team should beat this Arsenal team. And so I think in terms of your original question, I think it more reflects just, I don't really know what's going on um, with Spurs, but there's a series of just truly incomprehensible uh, decisions being made. Number one, you bring in Serie A Defender of the Year. You bring in and Copa America Team of the Season, I think. Team of the player, Tournament. Yeah. Team of the Tournament, rather. Christian Romero and leave him on the bench as you're just getting destroyed by not just Arsenal, but like Crystal Palace as well. For like Eric Dyer and Davinson Sanchez, Eric Dyer has clearly peaked and Davinson Sanchez has just turned out not to be all that good. I don't mind uh, Jafet Tanganga. I think it's, you know, it's good to have like a, you know, academy player in there, but he's clearly one of these players who's also not especially good at center back or right back and really is more of a squad player. Why not play Emerson Royale? How does Giovanni Lo Celso not get close to this team? And something is up with, with Harry Kane's mentality as well. And all of that together under the sort of Portuguese tutelage of Nuno led to truly one of the most disastrous, you know, past few weeks for any club in Europe. Yeah, I mean, five games unbeaten, rather five games without a win in regulation. They um, they beat Wolves on penalties uh, in the Carabao Cup. But since, uh, you know, three weeks ago, they lost 3-0 to Palace. They drew with Wren in the Europa League with a no, team they, they that started Harry League. Kane. Oh, yeah, sorry, in the Conference League. In a game in which they started Bergwijn, Kane, Mora, Ndombele, and... Um, <clears throat> And like Davies and Heel and stuff. So that is pretty embarrassing. They obviously got battered by by Chelsea. Um, but then this result, I think, is... So, first of all, Harry Kane had a terrible, terrible game. He took five shots. He had five accurate passes in this game. Five, he had a pass success rate of 45%. He also did give the ball away that led to Arsenal's third goal, the Saka goal. Um, I thought Dobbinson Sanchez was probably the player at fault for the first goal um, where he just did not pick up either the initial run of Erdegaard or the secondary run of Smith Rowe. Um, but it was just, aside from Son and maybe Reguillon, who I thought tried really hard, this Spurs team just got outplayed like player to player. Um, I, I do think it's worth noting that a number of Arsenal players performed exceptionally well. I thought Emil Smith Rowe, showed that he should probably be starting over Pepe in a, the strongest 11. Mm -hmm. um, and frankly, I'm surprised that I hadn't thought of this or that we hadn't seen this earlier because we know that Tierney likes to get forward and, and sort of stay close to the touchline. That's the same kind of position that Pepe likes to occupy when he's played as a left winger um, or that Saka can occupy as well. So having Smith Rowe is almost like a, a floating like an inverted winger, I guess. Right. Makes a lot of sense if he can cut in and occupy space. I thought Erdegaard is a, showed that just positionally what he does is really important. Um, the double pivot of Xhaka and Partey looked really good. Um, Ramsdale, again, continues to cement his place as the clear number one. Uh, he made a couple of really good saves, including one at the near post on Son in the first half. And honestly, Takahiro Tomiyasu is just awesome. Like, he was, like, bantering off Harry Kane, uh, like, firing up the team. 
And for the first time, I feel like very confident in our outside backs, which is not something mm. that I think Arsenal have had since maybe the breakthrough season of Bellerin with Nacho mm. Monreal as the left back. Mm. So it was good to see Aubameyang score. Um, it was good to see Saka score and get the assist. But that's sort of what I expect of those players going forward. There was a real solidity about how Arsenal played from the back. Um, and we sort of got to see maybe close to what the final version of this Arteta team could potentially look like if they can pull this together consistently. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, these types of games, like derby games, are are a bit one-off, right? They, they're kind of unto themselves. But I do think they give you insight into the sort of psychology of the team because, you know, who rises to the occasion? And it was just, you know, kind of shocking to see that pretty much no Tottenham players, save Hunman Song, who always rises to the occasion, um, were able to rouse themselves. Meanwhile, Arsenal players all seemed very much in it um, from the get-go, hence why they scored, you know, three goals in the first half, including one pretty early in the 12th minute. Um, and I think that does matter. I mean, that that says something about, you know, less about like what Arteta is doing per se, but more about like the personal capacity of each player to sort of bring themselves to care, which yeah. is important. You know, you know, I agree. And, and Arsenal, the, so Arsenal have the youngest average starting 11 of any Premier League team and the 10th youngest average starting 11 of any team um, in the big five leagues, according to mm-hmm. the email that I got this week from um, the CIES, the, the mm-hmm. soccer research place. Ben White, who I thought had a rough start against Brentford to this season, completed seven of his eight long balls. And I thought he showed what he can do there. And having Gabriel next to him instead of someone like Rob Holding really improves this team. Mm. Uh, And yes, it's a derby. It's a one-off. But I was glad to see, you know, Pepe dropped. Um, Like, I don't think any player should be getting in this squad based on anything but individual merit. Mm. And so I was... I was incredibly nervous to start this game because I thought if this team, if this lineup can't beat Spurs, then like we're truly cooked. Hmm. But they did and did it in dominating style. They could have had, um, you know, much more. And I was very pleased with how it ended. And, and now Arsenal can maybe look to take some more points. Now the next three games are Brighton, then Palace and Villa. So I would say, you know, no fewer than six points from those, those nine should be expected. I mean, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> now... Brighton are going to win. We have had a really hard time playing Brighton, so I'll give you that. But right before the Arsenal game, uh, we saw Barcelona putting out a team that I think I described as their weakest team that I've ever seen. <laughs> um, it didn't... St- I, I still think I'm correct, but... That team managed to beat Levante 3-0, and it was the uh, the usual suspects, Depay, along with Luke de Jong and Ansu Fati, <laughs> scoring in his return. What did this lineup say to you? I mean, this was this was the full-on, you know, transition to a new era lineup. I mean, as you said, it's kind of unrecognizable. Our midfield featuring two teenage players neither of whom are, are Pedri in Gavi, who's just turned 17, and Nico Gonzalez, who is uh, 19. 
I think this game could have gone like one of two ways. Either, you know, we get destroyed and look like Barcelona B who play in like the Segunda B division. Or, you know, everyone plays to truly the best of their abilities. Um, and it's it's a triumphant occasion. And that's kind of what happened. Um, we held Levante, who to be fair, are not like a great team either. Like, I don't think this would have worked, you know, against a Real Sociedad um, or a Sevilla, right? Like we have to kind of contextualize this in terms of like who our opponent is. Um, but we held Levante without a shot for pretty much 70 minutes of the game, dominated possession. All the young players looked fantastic. Dest looked amazing at left back, including a perfect assist to Luke de Jong. Depay was all over the place. We even saw Puig getting into the action. You know, as it turns out, when when Komen is not on the sidelines and Schroeder is in charge, uh, a little bit of, of merit actually matters. But, you know, throw everything aside, really what mattered about this game was the long-awaited 322-day wait for the return of the best young player in the game. I think, I think the best under-20 player in the game, Ansu Fati, who within two minutes of arriving on the pitch in the 81st minute, scored a goal from outside the box and Ronald Araujo lifted him up to the heavens to give us the first kind of iconic image of this Barcelona season. I don't know. It, it, it was a breath of it was a breath of fresh air. And you know, once again, it's Levante, but it was just nice to see. And it, it was it was a hopeful moment, um, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, Fati was on pace to score like twenty goals before he got injured. <laughs> Uh, and obviously, like, he is still incredibly young. I don't think he should be yeah. rushed back into action. He's only 18 years old. He turns 19 yeah. in a little over a month. Yeah. But, I mean, with the number 10 kit now, yeah. uh, I think he's got expectations on him. But I really like him. He's a really fun player to watch. And I'm glad that he was able to return in the way that he did. I sort of wonder if the strategy going forward for this Barcelona team should be to continue with these youngsters. Like, Gavi, I think has more potential than Elish. I know they occupy slightly different roles. Um, but, you know, when you have a 17-year-old and a 19-year-old on the other side of, of Busquets, I think it helps create value. And I think this Barcelona team is starved for value when it comes to just purely a monetary sense. Hmm. But, like, I think it justifies the decision to, you know, shift on guys like Pjanic, who shouldn't have been in the team in the first place. Um, you know... I was a little surprised that Dest played as well as he did because typically mm. he has not been great as a left back. He actually hasn't been great as a right back. Uh, but it's always good to see him getting in and amongst the the chance creation as well. I think it'll be a big test for him how he continues to do that with Atleti and Valencia, the next two teams in the league um, You know that, that you face. So I guess the big question is how does this team change when... when Kuman has the full uh the full reins uh and and does Coutinho keep his starting spot or is that where Fati or Yusuf Demir goes like the, there's still questions to be asked but um, yeah. I think it was encouraging nonetheless Yeah no I think your your point about Gavi versus Ilaich is interesting because I think 
Alex is clearly very good, but he also, you know, in his cameo appearances last year, very clearly wasn't, you know, as focused on like the passing element of his game and his technique wasn't quite as tight um, as I would have liked it. But Gavi and Nico both, you know, looked the part um, almost entirely all game. Um, and, you know, they're getting minutes now that Alex probably would have soaked up. Um, and meanwhile, he hasn't played to my knowledge, a game yet uh, for RB Leipzig since his, you know, 15 million transfer. But no, right. I think youth is the policy going forward already this season. Barcelona have had the second most, I think, under 21 minutes of any team other than like Rennes, maybe something like that. Like we're, we're like in like the top 10 uh, for like youth minutes. Um, and we've got a lot of, a lot of good players that are young. I think the question though is like, how well do we stack up? against you know actual teams because we still do need to try to win the league or at least finish in the champions league spots and we do need to not get totally embarrassed um in the champions league as you know we are wants to do especially with Bayern munich in our group but i think in general with you know frankie Dion going to come back from suspension with pedri going to come back from injury with fati getting up to speed with dembele returning we'll have to rely less on you know Luke de Jong to play striker when you can move to pie into the middle and we'll have to rely less on Coutinho who still doesn't really fit into the squad um yeah I almost wonder if you're if you're if there's the possibility of seeing Pedri as that sort of hybrid right winger mm-hmm. where with, with either Gavi or or you know de Jong behind him with Busquets um to occupy one of those spaces instead but uh, also, shout out my guy, Shkodron Mustafi, who somehow <laughs> plays for Levante. I had no idea. I would have assumed he was playing in the second Bundesliga with Schalke. Um, but no, that was it's it's always weird. I feel like the the bottom of La Liga contains like more obscure players than the bottom of like any other league. Like, yeah, it's, it's very weird. Like Rayo Vallecano, obviously not with Falcao with Falcao. Um, you know, he's been are, sick this year, by yeah, the way. Rio, by the way, above Barcelona in the table right now, although they do have a game in hand. Yeah. Um, like their squad always contained like just the most bonkers assortment of like players who had one good season somewhere. Um, and then uh like they well, have Rio's whole thing is like, like they would <laughs> do they still have the Yes, they still have the bay. That's awesome. Uh, well, no, the whole thing, right, is like they can't afford to actually like have players, so it's just like a lone army every yeah. year no it's hilarious um, um but yes yeah, so that's barcelona we should probably provide like a little color on the rest of la liga the important results being that this weekend madrid drew nil nil against Villarreal and deportivo alaves beat atletico madrid who find themselves in a bit of a poor form the gritzman suarez partnership not looking especially well Jao Felix getting sent off more than sending the ball into the back of the net. What what's going on with uh, Los Rojiblancos over yeah. there? Yeah, well, I mean, they just can't score. That's like the big issue. And yes, they put two past Atafe. They put two past Espanol um, earlier in the month. But it's been a whole lot of one goal games, and it's obviously like they're known for being a defense first team and playing a four, four, two, but last year they weren't playing a four, four, two. And that was what was so nice. It was, you know, at times a three, five, two is at times a four, three, three with Tom Alomar. Um, but 
you know, drawing nil-nil with Porto, drawing nil-nil with Bilbao, and then losing to all of us is really bad. Um, and Griezmann has not exactly been um, greeted kindly by no. Atleti supporters. And he's also sucked. So it's sort of been like a mutual uh, a mutual relationship that he's had there. Um, no Jose Ma Jimenez again this last week. Uh, he was on the bench. It's weird not seeing Saul in this team week in and week out. I also just don't understand why Llorente... Well, Saul is gone. Yeah, no, that's what I'm, oh, okay, that's what I'm okay, saying. Because okay, um, yeah, yeah. he's been such a mainstay in their team. I see, I see. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, under Simeone. But I don't understand why... Yorente was being played as like a true center mid when clearly he's best out wide. Like he was one of Europe's best players in yeah. that hybrid, like right mid, right wing back role um, in favor of Kieran Trippier, who has also been really bad this year. So yeah. somewhere they need to find some goals, um, you know, whether that's from like a guy like Mateus Cunha, who is mm. still young and I think has potential, uh, you know, whether it's from Angel Correa, who always is capable of scoring like 10 goals a season for like, no real reason. Um, you know, he already does have three goals this year, but yeah, I mean, they just need to figure out how to score again. Yeah. And I think a big factor has been like Suarez has really seemed to have lost what little pace he had um, this season. And, you know, he's never been a player that's relied too, too much on pace, but you know, mobility has always been a bit of an issue for him. And I could be forced to eat my words because he was, you know, the top scorer, the second top scorer in the league last year, but he especially has looked particularly poor um, over these past few games. And, you know, I have to hope that uh, they stay poor uh, come next weekend when, when Barcelona play them. Yeah, I guess the last team we can touch on is Real Madrid, who were held yeah. to a nil-nil draw by Villarreal. Mm. I'm sort of inclined to believe that these results sort of happen you know they're still top of the yeah. league they're still undefeated they put six past Mallorca midweek in a game that I only watched because Matthew Hoppe was starting um <laughs> for Mallorca he did pick up an assist yeah but I mean I don't think you can read too much into this when they haven't lost a game since last season um you know when they're beating teams like Vigo 5-2 um and you know they've obviously got a, a pretty easy road ahead of them, right? They've got Sheriff in the Champions League um, in a battle of two of the worst positioned political teams of all time. Yeah. They've got Espanyol next weekend, not another great political matchup there either, before yeah. Bilbao and Shakhtar, before the first Classico of the year in, um, in, in late October, well after the international break. So mm. I'm perfectly content not reading too much into this one. You know, they started Valverde at right back. They started Nacho at left back. Am I wrong for thinking that this is just an, an, a brief aberration? No, no, I think I think this is a bit of a, you know, it happens. I think Villarreal are good, although this wasn't the most normal Villarreal team you see playing a five at the back, playing with, you know, Dan Juma, their new uh, attacking player with Alcacer, with Moreno still out. Um, and I think, you know, you were going to have a day where Benzema and Junior uh, were just going off and things are going to trend down. I am still curious to see, though, whether this sort of move of Asensio into more of a central position, a la Di Maria, uh, when Ancelotti last managed 
um, Real Madrid on the way to La Decima. I'm curious to see that transition um, play out over the course of the season because he's a player that I think needs to kind of kick on in a different area of his career or even potentially leave um, Madrid for pastures new. So yeah, I don't I don't read too much into this. Um, and I think Madrid still very much seem like the team to beat in La Liga right now, which is not something I expected to be saying this year. Yeah, I thought it was, first of all, shout out to Raul Albiol, who at the age of 36 uh, is still turning in class performances um, as a center back. He's really had impressive longevity when you consider the fact that like I remember playing with him as like an early maybe a young 20 year old in like the first FIFA that I ever played in like 2008 or 2009 but regardless I thought he was good I thought Juan Foyth looked good um I'm sure that Jeremy Pino is going to end up earning them a ton of money you know he's only 18 years old he's good yeah he's really good In in a market that is perennially deprived of quality fullbacks. He already has 30 first team appearances um, and he's only 18 years old and he's looked really good going forward. But yeah, I mean, you know, they created three times the number of chances that Villarreal did. And, you know, sometimes you're just not going to find the net. The real test is also going to come for them. um, Obviously when they, when they face tougher opposition later this season, if they can keep up the form when they rotate, like I'm assuming they're going to rotate pretty heavily against Sheriff. Um, and they just need to avoid the sloppy losses against teams like Espanyol that have sometimes come back. Like every year, Madrid take one really like truly bad loss. Like they'll lose like four nil to Vallecano or something. Um, but they've stayed pretty error free so far, and yeah. um, you know they definitely are pacing the league right now as they are uh, you know on top with seventeen points. Yep. Also, shout out Sevilla, who have somehow conceded just two goals in six games, which is pretty Dude, impressive. That's, that's what happens when you keep Jules Kunde. Yeah, know? I was going to say, he's only, yeah, I think the decision not to sell him has made a lot of sense. They also have avoided Diego Carlos getting sent off, um, which is <laughs> that's huge. True. Always uh, a factor. They also, you know, brought in Montiel, um, who was good for Argentina. Their, their defense is just very yeah. solid. And, and Thomas Delaney, another... yeah, Thomas Delaney is having getting sent off this last weekend is generally good. Um, yeah. yeah, no, and, and Yassine Buno, the Moroccan goalie, I think is, is, he reminds me a little bit of Emmy Martinez just because he has sort of mm-hmm. had like a late blooming career of sorts, yeah. like yeah. starting with Hirona and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, this is a, an interesting year in La Liga, um, especially mm-hmm. without Letty faltering to start. So definitely teams to keep your eye on. But full Champions League coming up this week, full mm. Europa League, full Europa Conference League. If mm. you, like I, are just hoping that Spurs find a way to, you know, somehow blow it again. But, um, you know, I would love to see them lose to Mura, the team from the Slovenian League who currently sit in fifth place. That is their opponent this week. Wow. Yeah, what, do, do we have any salacious fact about them? No, see, that's normally Nick's department. Nick is the ah. one who comes through with like the dirt on various teams. But yeah, uh, speaking by the way, of dirt, shout out the uh, the Ryan Babel diss track <laughs> against Ibrahim <laughs> Afalai. It's like the failed Wonder Kids of two thousand eight. Like, yep, yep. Uh, don't know why these players have beef exactly. I, clearly, Afalai didn't know that they had beef, but uh, Afalai or Babel did release 
a rap track called Open Letter, where he has a whole set of bars on <laughs> Aphelai. Yeah, I think I think there's something to be said too because Hesse ha- also has like a reggaeton slash rap career. So like the lapsed <laughs> Wonder Kid wingers clearly. Where, have... where is Hesse these days? Oh, you know, is he still a PSG player? Oh no, he's or does not he Las play Palmas. Sporting or something? Las Palmas, but I think on loan. Let's see. Oh no, no, no he's free transfer, free transfer. God, how the mighty have fallen! But he put that's in the Segunda Division, though. That's not even. Yeah, I know. That's wow. I feel almost bad for him. He but... made what twelve appearances over four seasons uh, in the league for PSG. Yikes. So almost as many as Neymar. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, but did Neymar ever win the under 20 Euro championship? No, I don't think so. No. Um, But that's neither here nor there. We will obviously keep you updated on the antics of these former Wonder Kids as this season goes on, because for all we know, Afalai has plenty of time on his hands now that he is retired. Um, So maybe he will release a diss track of his own. Um, But until next time, I've been Nathan Strauss, Caleb Rhodes. And we will see you all after Atleti Barcelona this coming weekend in what should be a really fantastic weekend of soccer with Liverpool City as well on the docket. Thanks for tuning in. We will catch you then.